This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to another edition of my favourite thing in the week, uh, which is 50 Years of Chelsea. Now, those of you who have been listening to the Chelsea fancast throughout the lockdown will know that in lieu of no uh, proper football, so to speak, uh, to talk about on a Monday, we've uh, we've been offending your ear holes with history. A lot, a lot of big dollops of history on a Monday night. So we decided it would be a lot of fun to go back... You know, 50 years, anniversary of Chelsea winning the FA Cup and all of that. So we thought we'd start in 1970 and then just kind of work our way through every week. But of course, because we know uh, lots and lots and lots of people who are much cleverer than me and Jonathan and have far better memories, we've got some really great people to come on and talk about all of these games. So there you go. So uh, because we've now got football to talk about, we thought, you know what, we don't care. We're just going to carry on. We'll just make it a separate show. Anyway, tonight uh, we are now up to the 80s. It's 1980 to 81. Uh, a decade that I, I can actually, well, I say I, I can remember it. Um, the reality is I, I describe the 80s as my Keith Richards period. So I know I was there, but I don't really remember it for various similar reasons, actually, if the truth were to be told. Um, but luckily we have got uh, not just a, a friend of ours, but I would say... This man knows more about Chelsea in the 80s than anybody on the planet, uh, not least because he wrote the definitive book on it. And he is, I'm delighted to actually say, we've got Kelvin Barker on the show tonight. Kelvin. Hi, Chidge. Good to be here. It's been a while. Yeah, well, I was, has it ever? I mean, I should actually also give you the much bigger up than I've just given you, which is to say, of course, Kelvin not only writes for CFC UK fanzine, uh, he co-wrote uh, the uh, brilliant Chelsea Here, Chelsea There book, which is about uh, Chelsea, Chelsea are back, basically, the, the match at Highbury in 1984. Uh, he co-authored, forgive me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, I thought you co did you not co-author Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac as well? I did, yep, I did. You did? So there you go, as well as, of course, Celery representing Chelsea in the 80s, which, as I said, is the definitive book on the 80s, but... 
apart from that, Kelvin was one of the first guests we ever had uh, when I took over the Chelsea Fancast. And therein lies the point, because Kelvin was one of the motley crew who did the Chelsea Fancast before I was even thought of. Isn't that right, Kelvin? I did it with um, David Johnson, if I remember rightly. It was a slightly less professional setup back then but uh, just enough fun obviously because we love Dave well uh, Dave is is everything uh, in particular he is entertaining so uh, I, I I did actually hear a few of them I think they've, they've now disappeared I don't know I lost them which is a great shame now Speaking as well of entertaining can I just say Kelvin that um, what I love about um, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 book that I'm reading at the moment is title I've completely forgotten celery isn't it yeah um, uh, <laughs> is uh, is it's funny Yes. I love sense of humour as well. It's really funny. So not only is it informative, but it's uh, it, it, you've got really good sense of humour. And it's just it, anybody wanted to listening to this who, who should really buy it. Not only is it is it got great facts in it and tells a really good story, but it's also very amusing. So, and, uh, and there is a, thank you, Jonathan. That's kind of you. There's a yeah. new a new updated version as well. Now, of course, you've now of course heard the dulcet uh, tones of my partner in crime, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Um, Fresh from his uh, stunningly debacle, yes, yes, the, the yeah. naked appearance, his yeah. nakedness was there for all to see. Although sadly not, because I forgot. Some may say, as a psychotherapist, actually, you know, yeah. we do say there is no such thing as forgetting. It's you're unconscious at work, and I think unconsciously I realised that the world was not ready to see you nude singing "You Are My Chelsea." Right. A first question I've been itching to ask before we kind of get into, you know, people who are familiar with the show now will know that, you know, we kind of go fairly chronologically through the season and then sum it all up and, and reflect upon it. But, you know, given that, as I said, Kelvin wrote the definitive book on Chelsea in the 80s, and I'm delighted to say he's been foolish enough to promise me that he's going to come on to at least four of these. In fact, actually, the plan is that he's he's on the first one tonight and he'll be on the last one of the 80s in 10 weeks time, I presume. Um the first question I really want to ask you, Calvin, if if you were going to uh, introduce the decade that was the eighties for Chelsea, how would you do it? Well, um, that's a good question. Now you should have prepped me for this. No, no, I only just thought. I only just thought smart, of it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't script roller coaster. <laughs> roller yeah. coaster is not very original, is it? But I think if if ever there was a decade that was a ro- roller coaster. Oh, it's probably the seventies as well, actually, but eighties was as well. Yeah, I mean, the the reason I say that is because you you're right. Obviously, I mean, we we it, it, I think I think the eighties was the most dramatic decade for Chelsea in terms of highs and lows, uh, and I think you you you've nailed it. Roller coaster would be exactly how I how I would talk about it. But I I wouldn't necessarily say weirdly that was definitively when we were shit, although. You know, certainly the back end of the 70s, which we've just done, and the first kind of two, three seasons of the 80s, we were un- undoubtedly shit. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we hit our lowest, um, our lowest point ever, didn't we? In the, um, was it 82, 83? Yeah. Was yeah. our lowest ever finish. And we we spent a couple of years building up to that as well. So I don't think there's any denying that we were shit at the start of the 80s. Yeah, definitely. I think that's when we were a ton of deer. Um, anyway, let's get on with this one. Um, I've, I've titled this uh, little segment, Jeff Hurst, Good and Shite Army, because it seems to be quite appropriate. Uh, you know, Jeff Hurst has come in uh, as the manager. Um, and uh, the first thing that I, I, I picked this up, from, you know, rereading your book, funny enough. He makes Petter Barota captain, which I completely forgot about. What a bizarre decision, I think. 
What do you think? Very strange to, yeah, I mean, um, giving a captaincy to somebody who can't speak English um, was kind of uh, as strange as it gets, really. Um, giving it to a goalkeeper is never ideal, um, I, I, in my personal view. But uh, yeah, it was it was an odd one. Barata had been there for a season, um, done okay, obviously had a bit of personality, was a character. But um, you had people there like uh, Mickey Joy. You had, um, I think Ian Britton was still around. Dennis Rofe was there, very experienced. There were some other sort of more obvious choices. Colin Viljern was there, he was experienced. He wasn't playing much, but there was some experience there. Very strange to give it to Barata. Um, <laughs> What must his team and talk have been like? For goodness sake, what were the kid would could never have said anything, could he, for a team talk? Couldn't as you say, it, it be, makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, was, very bizarre. Perverse, wasn't it? But he was a painter as well, wasn't he? Old Barota. He had an exhibition, didn't he? I remember. That's um, right. Yeah, an exhibition in London. Yeah. It, he was kind of character and a flamboyant personality, but um, as more and more of the, the memories come flooding back, just completely incompetent. You just think it sort of set a level of. Of expectation that uh, um, how bad could it get? Uh, one of the things I noticed about him all the time was he would go for crosses and then decide to give up after having gone for the cross, and so would find himself standing sort of halfway. No, uh, yeah. The ball would then go under his body, or would just go. He'd miss it. Then, well, he would no chance of getting it. So he, he didn't make a decision to stand on his line, um, uh, or he didn't. Make, then he would make a decision to. Um, um, oh, screen sharing. Um, and he'd then make a he, he so it, it was neither one thing or the other, and it's just absolutely dreadful goalkeeping. And of course, as we know, as we'll get getting onto it more as the as the uh, as the as the the show goes on, um, uh, he, some of the errors he made by this desire to run out of the penalty area. I mean, I've talked about this, before, yeah, but absolutely, yeah. they were. But, but we get another one of them definitely. There was a kind of ma I remember thinking, oh God, no, don't, don't run out, no, no, don't. Which which Caballero slightly has an element. Of there that. is, there was no. definitely, definitely yeah. a madness. There was definitely a madness yeah. to Barotta. But I mean, the thing is, Kelv, he, he, you know, I mean, it's. I tell you what's really interesting, you know, watching a lot of the YouTube clips back, you know, before doing this, and you know, his quirkiness with his tracky bottoms or his socks rolled over his tracky bottoms, his. Um, I mean, you know, he he would never make a simple save look easy. He would have to make it look like the best save in the world. But the fans loved Absolutely. it. I mean, I, I yeah. can't remember what the match I was watching. It might be in the Newcastle match. He made a couple of saves. And the shed ender going, and they loved him, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, I mean, that game was a good one because he, he's caught on camera a few times, um, you know, being his sort of bubbly self and, like you say, pulling off a couple of really good saves, actually. And he was a good shot stopper. But like you say, he did make the easy saves look difficult. There was one on his debut, um, which was, I think, in 79. Yeah. And it was on um, Big Match. And Brian Moore um, is commentating and actually comments that he's uh, pulled out a save for the cameras. <laughs> that, but that was him. The fans loved him. And he was actually quite sort of close with the fans. Mm. Interesting chap. Well, uh, you know, people will know that I, I did a whole load of interviews with some of the players here around at this time. One of them was Gary Chivers, which we did for the Chelsea special. And uh, this is what Gary had to say about Petter Barotta. This is brilliant. We had, a, we had a goalkeeper called Peter Barotta. Oh, God, yeah, of course. Yugoslavian, wasn't it? Yugoslavian, wasn't it? Yugoslavian. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah an, an absolute lunatic. And, and he got signed. He got signed. And I remember we played, I think we played at West Ham. We played at West Ham one game. And Trevor Brook in turn and chipped him. And as the ball was in the air, he was clapping the goal. 
as it went in for the West Ham fans. <laughs> and everyone was thinking, he's another, he's another fucking lunatic. Yeah. Lunatic. And he, he came to get arrested at one of the games where he was going down the King's Road parking his car up, right? And uh, the tickets, the, the, yeah, the parking tickets, right? They, they used to put in a plastic bag, didn't they, and put it on the, yeah. on the screen. What he used to do, he used to take take them out, sign all the best Peter Perota, right? Put it on the side of the curb. He thought they were autograph hunters. No. Right? So he, <laughs> he collected, he collected, he collected hundreds, hundreds of these tickets, right? And uh, we was, uh, I forget what game it was. At, at half past two, the police came in to arrest him. To, to make a thing about it, and well, he said, like, he had so many parking tickets. yeah, I, he, he ain't paid none of them, none of them ain't paid none of them. And they come to arrest him. I think the club sorted it out in the end. He played the game, he's playing tights all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, lunacy, absolutely, absolutely mad, good, good, mad, mad as anything. Did we sign him from a Portuguese club or something? I'm not sure, was it partisan Belgrade or oh, something? Yeah, I think that rings a bell. Yeah. Partisan, yeah. Rings I think it was partisan yeah. Belgrade. Did he go out to Portugal afterwards? Didn't I think he went anywhere, yeah. bless him. But he, he was, he's he, dead he, now, he, now, isn't he? Yeah, he died. A lovely, lovely man. Yeah. He was a nice, he was a nice man. Could he speak good English? We, uh, no. He was. He, he, what, uh, they used to make me be the like sort of like interpreter. So what what would happen? He'd he'd go chips. Those call, call, call me chips. 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 Tell tell him tell him. And I used to say to Danny like uh, he's speaking to me now and he, he he wants to throw it. No. Now back to me. Tell him. Tell him to kick it. I want him to kick it, not to throw it. I say he wants it. I say, why don't you fucking tell him? <laughs> you fucking. And then he go. He uh, go. I can't do that. I can only throw. I can't kick. He says he can only throw. He can't kick. He likes ketchup. It was unbelievable. It was. It was, it was unbelievable. But he, he 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 was he was a lunatic. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, there there'll be a few more of those clips uh, later on because uh, as I said, you know, we uh, me and Martin interviewed. Uh, the lovely uh, Gary Chivers for the Chelsea special a while back. Uh, it's been up a while, actually. You can easily get them, chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, but there's a whole load of interviews with people like Gary Chivers, Johnny Bumpster as well, Colin Pates, a lot of players from this era, Kerry Dixon, of course. So there you go. Uh, Kelvin, um, I think that sums up uh, Petter Brotter quite well there from Gary Chivers. Yeah, very funny. And um, he did know because he was in front of him. We well, were told a story, Marco and I, uh, when we were writing um, Chelsea here, Chelsea there, and we met Dal Jasper, and he told us a story um, about the Rotherham, the infamous Rotherham, Rotherham six 0 defeat, which you'll get onto next week, I guess. Yep. Um, and that um, Barotta at half time was found in the dressing room, um, in the toilets of the dressing room, with a half bottle of whiskey finished. <laughs> yeah. So that might explain some of the uh, some of the goals conceded that day. The eccentricities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But. I- it's a lovely story in there in particular, which I love with about how they're, they're asking whether to kick or to throw the ball out. And, and, and they're going through Gary Chivers, who'd been appointed um, the kind of interpreter. And, uh, 
a ridiculous situation to have when you can't get the goalkeeper yeah. to understand you just to the most basic of stuff, you know, well, throw it out or kick it, you know, I mean, for goodness sake. Talking, talking of that Rotherham game, which we will talk about next week, um, I remember Gary saying that uh, he, he felt that Barotta was responsible for at least five of the six goals directly. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. Uh, anyway, uh, moving along from the lovely Petter Barotta, who we now know has been made captain, the other notable thing that happened in the summer was the fact that Tommy Langley got sold to QPR for 425 grand, which seemed like a lot of money in those days. Uh, of yeah. course, being being Chelsea, you know, I mean, of course, we all know he got sold because we're, ap- we're absolutely strapped for c- uh, cash like you wouldn't believe. Um, but lo and behold, uh, we end up playing QPR in our one, two, three, four, fifth game. Uh, our first, uh, sorry, second at home, because of course we played Wrexham, didn't we, on the opening day of the season. Guess who scores, Kelvin? Yep, Tommy Langley. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about that QPR game. Um, they had a game in midweek um, at home to Bristol Rovers. Um, and living in Shepherd's Bush, I quite often used to get along and watch QPR games when, like, if Chelsea weren't playing or or whatever. So I got along to this game, this Chelsea Bristol uh, QPR Bristol Rovers game. And they were starting to do... I used to actually go in the away end. I'd always go and support whoever was playing against QPR. And... Uh, this particular game, they just were starting to work on the away end there. So I ended up going in the loft um, and I was standing on my own and all these QPR fans started singing, if you're all going Chelsea, clap your hands. And they went through the whole rigmarole, got right to the end, all clapped, so they were going Chelsea at the, at the weekend. And then this big, huge, great bloke right at the front turned around to me and went, you fucking liars. Like, and everybody just busted up laughing. And then come the Saturday, about 10 of them turned up. <laughs> That's QPR for you. Uh, I, I know you've got a real soft spot for QPR, Kel, having been born down yeah. in that part of the world. Um, th- now, I, I kind of watched the, the thing back. I mean, I know you, you would have been there at the match. I know Kelvin was. I mean, the, 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 in, infamously, uh, Tommy Langley flicks the V at the Chelsea yep. at the shed, doesn't he, when, when he scores? I mean... Yeah. Was it really? In, I mean, because I looked at it again, and I and I'm trying to work out was it really malicious? Because you got a really funny camera angle, but you you both you were both there. So, what were your memories of it? Uh, I just remember him scoring, and uh, he'd been uh, he'd been given a hard time all the way through the game. So he uh, he went and flashed the V's. I remember, and I remember at the time thinking. Um, and saying to saying to probably Jonathan Paris, who I was always sitting with, saying, "Oh God, he's given them the given the terrorist the visa." And then Jonathan saying, "I'm not surprised." I'm saying, "Yeah, absolutely," because uh, uh, and there's a, a story I heard. I can't remember where I heard it. Where he, he was he was pressurized into signing. He was just he was given an extra hundred quid a week, and so he was uh, and he was in an in, he was in, an in who was the um, the the Queen's Park Rangers chairman at the time. And he found himself in that environment. And it was Venables, of course, was the manager. And they had a very decent side Rangers at the, at the time, of course. They had Tony Curry, who was a terrific player, who should have played for England all the time. And they had, uh, they had Steve Wicks, of course, who we'd, um, we'd sold, who was another decent player. And, um, and uh, who else did they have? And Rhoda. Rhoda played for them, Glenn Rhoda. And Tony so, Curry. Um, uh, what did I say? Peter Curry. Um, no, Tony, did you say yeah. Tony Curry? Yeah, I did. I said I oh, said I he must was be game barking, yeah. mate. Sorry. So uh, uh, they were a very decent side. So you can understand him swapping it, and if he was pressurised, but he he uh, he admitted he didn't know why he left Chelsea. But he well, why he left Chelsea? Because Chelsea wanted to sell him for exactly those reasons. Because it was um, you know four hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds to to try and pay for the stand again. I mean, I was thinking about the 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 amount of money that in the 
in the uh, in the years they got for Wilkins and for him already. That's that's a million. Which where did that go? Where did it get frittered into away? Into the debts, mate. On into the debts, interest payments. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely. definitely. They, they 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 were struggling all the way during this period to deal with this mountain of debt, and that's why you got the purchases, the really cheap purchases. We'll get onto that later, and uh, and you got um, the the. Uh, Basically, the, the standard wasn't good enough. And I think also the mental act, why they got the managers who weren't good enough. And when, when uh, Johnny Neal comes in later on in the 80s, then you realise that a decent manager pro- probably have made all of this go away. And you think in despair, looking back at what on earth did they do with Eddie Mack, who would, as I've constantly said, would have made them into a really terrific club just because of the way they were playing. He was the kind of manager who could make average players into top players. So. Yeah, there we go. Um, it's all very mysterious. Of course, you know, Johnny Neal then proves that you can do it in no money a few years later. So I think maybe maybe you're right. It, it's also about the management. Sorry, Yeah, I've got you now. Yeah, I'm echoing like a bastard, though, at the moment. All right, we'll take we'll take a pause until you've got it sorted. Guys, reverb, mate. Could do with that. Could do with that with the guitar. <laughs> that should do it. Yeah, I think actually it's because you had two of them open. Yeah, right. So Tommy Langley flicking the V at the shed. We we were saying we you know. We didn't think it was malicious, really. But there were, why would why? I mean, you know, I, I know Tommy. Tommy loves Chelsea. He's a Chelsea boy through and through and through. He wouldn't have wanted to go to QPR. He wouldn't have wanted to leave Chelsea. So why why were the shed end giving him such a bad time? Because he'd left. I mean, every player back then who I can think of got stick. I mean, Peter Osgood got stick when he came back in the 70s. And, um, you know, he's, he was the big hero for everybody. But he got stick when he came back with Southampton. It was the dumb thing. Steve Wicks, I remember speaking to Steve Wicks when he came back for his second spell and saying that the fans used to absolutely slaughter him when he came back after he left. Um, I just think they all used to get it. We're actually complete opposite now. I think we're fantastic players. But I think it was just the times we were, you know, football supporters generally, and it is a big generalisation, but we were all a little bit more ignorant. Ignorant, yeah. 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 Tribal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and we still get it a little bit now. There's there's players, um, you know, the likes of well, the, I think the classic one is Nigel Spackman, who gets so much grief from Chelsea fans for saying that he supported Liverpool. But yeah. to me, it's like who cares? He ran his nuts off for Chelsea for X amount of years, and you know, that's all that matters. I've got another theory, Kelvin and and Jonathan. Remember that the the fan base in those days was a lot younger than it is now. Yeah. And, you know, the the joys of youth are being, you know, we are far more kind of black and white about things, aren't we? We, we don't have as much nuances as we get when we're a bit older, grizzled and wiser. Maybe it's that. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, that was the case with me. I'm not going to deny it. That was the case with me. Anybody who played for Chelsea <laughs> and left, when they came back, they were getting it in the neck from me. Quality. Also, don't you think it was the aspect that also it was good fun? There's an aspect of fun about it. Well, I kid you not. You know, <laughs> every time they got the ball, you yeah, it was a, it was a, you know. I mean, I used to do it. You know, when I, when I was when I was um, 
when I was in on the terraces. I mean, I was fortunate that I just used my dad my dad's ticket after that. So uh, all, all through this period, it was his season ticket, and he never went. So I just because he was up, he was up at the time doing um he was doing Coronation Street. He was in Manchester. So I was um, I was um, uh, I, I was given the opportunity to just, just to use it. So it was and uh, it was it was a decent seat. It was. Um, uh, upper tier uh, east stand right in the front row so you know it was a it was it was a, a good view it's anyway. a great the, despite its horror it's a great stand that east stand yeah it's a great stand for views it really is it, you know you wouldn't be able to build anything like that nowadays because of uh, health and, uh, and, and safety but um uh, the, it's a, a terrific view of the pitch so yeah i remember yeah. my first time in there which was that new york cosmos game Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 78 and it was the first time I'd sat in that stand and I was so impressed yeah impressed with myself for being in there actually but it was <laughs> um, Stan it's funny isn't it because it's kind of really why I, I fell in love with Chelsea in a bizarre way because when I went it just I was only about 12 and and it just seemed huge it was like a spaceship had landed in the middle of this yeah. you know broken down kind of you know crumbling wreck of a kind of post-war stadium and you had that east stand there and it's funny i got interviewed for some leicester website for the cup game this weekend and they said why uh you know what's your favorite part about Stamford bridge and i said the east stand because it's the only bit that's still there from when i first went which is true (laughs) you know but there you go anyway we've gone wonderfully off point as, as as we tend to do um right just to kind of bring it back in a in a bit uh our first uh kind of one two three four, five, six, seven games were a classically Chelsea unmitigated disaster. Uh, we, we drew four matches and lost three. Um, the only highlight, really, from those first uh, six, seven matches uh, was the fact that Minder was filmed uh, at the Preston North uh, Preston North End game, which, of course, we... Uh, I, I need I need better glasses. Here we go. We drew that one all, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember this watching Minder as a kid, actually, and being very excited about the fact that they were at Stamford Bridge and Terry McCann, you know, Diesel was uh, was uh, doing his thing. Do you? I mean, I'm gonna. I'll ask you first, but of course, our resident lovey probably had it all arranged or something. We'll find out in a minute. But <laughs> I'll, I'll get your views on it first, Kelvin. Well, I was at the game, um, knew nothing about the fact that Minder was going to be filmed there, and I was in the shed with my brother. Um, and we just could see a bit of sort of like a bit of fuss going on over by the... Uh, it's in the West the... Ham, wasn't it? Or was it in yeah. the shed? No, it was in the West End. It was in the West End. Yeah. And you could see like a few cameras, but it didn't look right. It didn't look like it was going to be for, for TV. Plus, it wasn't the sort of game that was going to be selected for TV anyway. Um, and then the word just went round that they were filming Mindo. And it was actually sort of quite exciting. You know, that didn't happen very often. It probably did in Jonathan's world, but for us, you know, it was fair. <laughs> Um, so yeah no, it, it added a little bit to the day uh, but obviously couldn't see any of what was actually going on uh, until we actually watched the episode it was one that you ended up looking forward to was you know the one that was going to was, was from that game and they actually show a few decent clips from the game they do. Mickey Fillory particularly good in, in, M- in the clip I talked over you very rudely there Mickey Fillory right yeah, he looked he looked pretty good in the uh, the clips from mm. from Minder actually. Yeah, he looked he looked stylish. Mm. He was probably the only sort of thirty seconds he actually did any running in that game, but they <laughs> called it all on camera anyway. <laughs> what was nice about it was it was faithful to the match. It I was. mean, the number of games I've seen where they they shoot it outside Fulham 
and then they'll cut to inside and it's Stamford Bridge. And you go, hang on, it's completely two different games because they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it for a market. See, some of these films, there's a Peter Sellers film. Can't remember the name where they do that, but it was for an American market. So nobody's going to care. But my connection with Minder, funnily enough, I did I did three Minders in that period. I was um, I was uh, a crook in a Patrick Moore one chasing him because he he'd nicked our money, even though we were crooks um, with that guy, Gary Olson, who was in. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I played his partner and uh, I've got a nice couple of stills from that. I haven't got the episode. I'm wearing a rather sweet Fred green Fred, Fred Perry top. And then, uh, as I say, this other one called, uh, was it a number of, number of old wives tales? I think he was a bigamist, Patrick Moore. He was a very nice guy uh, chasing him about. And, um, uh, and then I was in uh, Minder on the Orange Express playing uh, um, somebody delivering something. And uh, as, as a consequence of that, I, I played, when I was doing Pipkins, which was the kids series I was presenting, I played for Dennis Waterman's football team. And, um, uh, uh, he was absolutely lovely, Dennis Waterman. I've heard subsequently that he was he, he could be a little bit grand, but never with yeah. me. Absolutely lovely, um, charming. Enjoyed playing football with him. He got um, uh, he had he had rather too many hangers on in the football team. We we just it was charity every time. And I remember him getting um, Daley Thompson played, and Daley Thompson was a beast. And Daley yeah. Thompson would just take people out. He's non-stop. a Chelsea fan, isn't he, Daley? I think he is. But yeah. he, somebody had to persuade him to stop you know, attacking the ball with such, you think, you thought he would have been great as a fo- as a professional footballer, just because not only Good was athlete. he... Good athlete. No, a wonderful, that's the point, <laughs> not only a tank, but he would demolish everybody, particularly at this standard. It was charity standard. And I remember um, uh, he had um, um, uh, Neil Reox's brother, who'd played for Preston, um, was uh, play- guested for us and could drill huge 45-yard balls from wing to wing, but um, was a little bit uh, um, past his peak in every other area. But uh, <laughs> it was um, it was uh, very good fun playing football with these people. And as I've said on the show before, um, I ended up playing with Norman Hunter at, at Ashton Gate once with him next oh, to brilliant. me. brilliant. Yeah, and he was absolutely lovely. And I so wanted to say to him, you can't be lovely. You can't. Your leads, your dirty leads. You can't be a nice guy. Ah! But, uh, but uh, and of course, what we've just gone past very quickly is we've gone on to Preston. I was, in fact, of course, the very first Chelsea Lion in this season. And oh. uh, at West Ham was my first game. And um, I don't know what they did, why I didn't do the... They didn't have the line for the first three games, but they... Uh, um, so hang on a minute. Pre- Preston, Preston, hang on, J- JK. Preston North End was your debut as Stamford the Lion. No, no, no. West Ham United. West Ham, debut. right. The game before, right? Six, yeah, the game before. But there hadn't been a line. There hadn't been a line. Yeah, a couple of games before. There hadn't been a line for Wrexham, Derby County, um, obviously not the away games, uh, Wrexham and Queen's Park Rangers and Cardiff. There hadn't been a line for that. He sort of was appeared. He was thrown at everybody on the sixth of September, because I was the very first one, and I I had to sign. I had to give them a. Um, I had to write my own brief. They asked me to write a. a um, um, what's the word? The advertising word. You have to write your own. Uh, um, copy. Uh, yeah, no, your own copy. It was. It was. Uh, it was telling them how I would be the lion, what benefits I would bring. A one pager, mate. And um, a what? Say again, a one pager. Yeah, well, well, yeah, exactly. It was it ended up being about three pages? No, me. really. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, because <laughs> yeah, 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 no, really. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't quite get the sarcasm there, Chish. Yeah, Kelvin yeah. did. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kelvin did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, but yeah, it was um, uh, and then 
and um, can I have I got enough time to tell yeah, the story? Yeah, mate, as long you know, as you like. You, you can always edit it. Um, um, <laughs> as if I would. As if, well, <laughs> it, it has been known. Um, we we, uh, we got that to wonderful situation where um, uh, the whole costume was hooks and eyes because uh, Velcro hadn't been invented because this was 1980. And uh, I had to be helped into the costume by, um, uh, and I can't remember who did that. Well, I think it was a young lady who did it, actually. Um, was she and the fluffer? And uh, yeah, she well, <laughs> no, there was no opportunity for anything like that in the costume. Tr trust me, it was, it was too tight. Were but, you wearing uh, your Chelsea scarf as your cash sex? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's something that we talk spoke or you, about. Or your dad's thong, mate. We went to the show. We got my dad's what? Yeah, your we dad's did. thong. My dad's thong, that would have been good. Well, no, I wear a, I wore a pair of really rather supportive briefs, actually. Um, and that's, I have to say, that's all I wore because it was so hot in that costume. Um, now, we'd had, a couple of, we'd had a couple of dry runs with it just outside the office, uh, as you'd expect, with me prancing about, noticing that the, uh, the boots were unbelievably heavy and it was practically impossible to walk in it. Um, but um, I, uh, uh, I trooped out and I'd, as I'd written... In my uh, my brief the, for the setup for the whole of this, um, uh, it needed to be a vibrant, um, uh, energetic character who uh, who um, took the 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 attitude that the, uh, the lion was was representative of a, of um, uh, you know a, a proper a, a proper team a team almost a team member himself, and he needed to be uh, interacting with the crowd and with the players and all these other long words that allowed me long highfalutin situations that allowed me to basically um, uh, prat about as much as I liked. And I ran onto the pitch on my own um, uh, with a ball, kicked the ball into the net, celebrated, bowed to the shed, um, ran along the touchline, shaking hands. You didn't do high fives. They had been invented and um, uh, went back to the centre circle, bowed again, bowed to the West Ham fans who all, sh all shouted, who chanted, who the fucking hell are you? Which I, I loved. And uh, they went back uh, the players came out, uh, shook their hands, and uh, um, uh, I escorted the uh, the mascot out to the middle. Um, uh, didn't conduct blue as the colour; that was to the uh, my replacement, and uh, uh, and just ran around like a mad idiot. Then went back in again, and uh, there was nobody there to help me out of the costume. And I was in the um, an annex to the changing room, and. Uh, I attempted to do it myself and we'd never gone through this business of me getting out the costume without help. There was nobody there. And uh, I squirmed for the whole of the first half on the ground, trying to get the costume off and uh, <laughs> failed miserably until um, the tea man, who was a man in a, in a brown coat, one of those, like, not like a white lab coat, but those brown coats that everybody used to wear in warehouses. Like Grace he, Brothers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he came in and he said, oh, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, well, I'm trying to get out of the land. Costume. Was it Arthur English? And uh, for, for a very similar, very <laughs> similar character. Oh, dearie, dearie, what are you doing here on the floor there? Oh, dear. <laughs> and then he, he got me out of the costume and uh, I went, uh, put my clothes on, went into the tunnel, and there was about a minute of the game of the first half to go, and I just went down to the uh, the tunnel, looked, poked my head through, looking at the game, and a steward came up to me and said that wonderful word that means so much. Yes, he said, and uh, and I remember saying, "Oh, I've just been the lion," and he said, "Yes, and I'm Peter Osgood," and he grabbed me round the neck 
and frog marched me out of the ground through the gates. And there I was <laughs> thrown out. And um, uh, and luckily I had me, me I had my dad's ticket, so I just went back in again, uh, watched the second half from the, the from my seat. But um, I was a little bit disappointed to be treated that way. And I've got to say, of course, the the reason I was the Chelsea alum was because I played Sunday football with uh, Hugh Hastings, who was the photographer and um, a program editor and just generally got everything together. I mean, in those days, they had so little money that they, they got him to do the two jobs. So he compiled all the program material and took all the photographs. Um, but as I say, I played I played football with him every Sunday and I'd been fat puffin before that for puffin books. So I've had experience working with costumes. Great track he, record. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> uh, and I remember he'd said to me, hey, Jonathan, I remember. He said, I remember. I mean, Hugh was interesting because he'd been to school with me and he didn't actually speak speak like that, but he'd affected that accent because I think it worked well for Chelsea. But he actually spoke a bit like that. And his dad, <laughs> his dad was very like that. His dad was very posh, very, very posh man, strode around, very, I think he'd been in the army, uh, very interesting man, looked like a scientist, um, sparse white hair, but, uh, and the Mac always wore a Mac, came and watched us play Sunday football, would always say, come on, you Rovers, come on, you Rovers, because we were Castle No Rovers because of Barnes. And um, anyway, he said, uh, he said to me, John, you know, you've, you've done this. You've been that, uh, you've been that puffin. You could be the lion, couldn't you? And I said, yes, yes, Hugh, I could indeed be the lion. I'll have a go. And um, so anyway, second game, which was the following home game after West Ham, that was, uh, that would have been Preston. So um, that game, the Chelsea Preston game, I was indeed the, uh, the lion once again, did all my bits, ran around. Uh, uh, the very sparse Preston fan said, who the fucking hell are you? I, uh, <laughs> I didn't kick the ball in the net. I went to the shed. I waved. I got, you know, people seemed, all the kids like me, shook their hands, did all that kind of stuff. Same again, uh, shook the players' hands. And um, uh, similarly, same problem again. Nobody there to help me out of it. Uh, the bloke, I just this time just sat down waiting for the bloke to come. Missed the whole of the first half. Went out to what uh, went out the last five minutes. Same steward. Yes, I said. Oh, don't go through this again. I've just been the lion. Yes, and I'm Rackle Welsh. He said. Okay, and he get put. He's got a theme going there. Hasn't he's got he? a theme going. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember he really did. Rackle Welsh and Peter Osgood, and um, and he escorted me out of the ground again. Frog marched me out. Um, he did that thing of holding your arm up. You know, I've I learned that you that you when you're trying to get rid of somebody you don't like, you hold you hold their arm, but hold it just rather uncomfortably up, slightly up. You know, and you're being being. It's obvious they're taking you out of the ground. And so he put me threw me out again. I got back in again. Watched the second half. I've no idea what happened in the first half at all. Um, and the, the the I then missed the um, uh, the midweek game, which I think was uh, Bolton. Was that uh, not? It was Bristol Rovers? Was that midweek? I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I missed it. I was working on something on a. I had a job in a film or something. I think bizarrely playing a cat. I think I was playing. I, I was now into this whole thing of playing playing characters who were in costumes. And my agent said, oh, yeah, you, you, you've you just been the Chelsea Lion and you were that puffin. I've got a job for you. And I played a cat in a film. And uh, and then I was back for Chelsea Grimsby. But by then they got me a pass. They got me a pass. So I had the same problem. Nobody would help me off with the costume. Missed the whole of the first half. Went down to the through the tunnel and the bloke came up to me and went, yes, again, you again. And I went, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and you could see the steam coming out of his ears. And I actually thought, <laughs> I don't particularly want to watch from the tunnel. It's a bit of a waste of time. So I went back to my seat, just went back, mm. back up to my seat. But, um, and then I was then, uh, um, uh, Hugh phoned up and said, they don't want you to do it anymore because uh, uh, you're too expensive because I've got a tenner. 
I was paid a tenner. And th those are the days where even a tenner, which of course is now worth uh, 150 quid, and uh, um, you could have a slap up meal in town for a tenner and uh, go home with the lady of the night of your choice um, uh, in, uh, in 1980. You, uh, I, um, I ended up um, uh, yeah, being, uh, being asked not to do it anymore. And so uh, that was the end of that. So I lasted. I lasted four games. Stamford Bridge was the poorer without you, Jonathan. Oh I my God! Well, I was replaced by an, uh, a bloke who was retired, who just wandered around and was exactly the opposite of everything they'd said they wanted, which was dynamism and energy. And he just conducted blue as the colour on the halfway line and shook hands with the kids and limped about. It was bloody difficult in that costume. You know, bloody difficult running. You couldn't run in it. I tried. In, you know, in but... my head, in my fantasy, I mean, I'm sadly I wasn't there. And I, I, I'll ask Kelvin in a minute whether he remembers your uh, your wonderful uh, cameo as Stanford the Lion. But I, I, in my head, when you've got the West Ham fans in the away end, I, I, I'm in my head, you're doing, you're giving them the five finger shuffle, mate. <laughs> you know, come on, no, you, feeling, you know, I'm... who the fuck are the ICF is what Stanford was shouting at them. That's, <laughs> that, that's what I'm fantasizing, but I suspect it wasn't really like that. No, all I did was bow and wave at yeah. them. In a should nice have, way. should have done a moony at them or something. I couldn't get out of the costume change, yeah, remember yeah. that. So, Kelvin, yeah. do, do you remember this amazing, uh, almost kind of Larry Olivier spell uh, on Broadway of Jonathan being stamped for the line, line for four games? I, I don't remember the specifics of it. I remember the first time I saw Stanford the Lion and, you know, it all being sort of like, uh, it came out of nowhere and suddenly there was this uh, lion costume on the pitch. Funny enough, the first time I ever... I always equated to the Newcastle game that we're going to come on to, but obviously it was it was before then, so that's the sands of time. It's 40 years ago well, now, but it's go. always the Newcastle game is the one I think I've been the first time. All right. Well, for reasons of uh, accuracy, we should record and report that Chelsea did, in fact, draw one... Or, no, they beat uh, uh, Preston North End 1-0. No, uh, no, no sorry. The, I'm, I'm getting all about arse about face here, aren't I? It was one or wasn't it? Uh, yeah. the, the other notable thing about that is that... Uh, who was who was the manager for Preston North End? And if you've got Bound of Friday open like I have, you can't play this game because you'll be cheating. So you have to fess up now. But if you can remember it, I'll give you a point. Um, I wouldn't have remembered it was in. No, you know who it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jonathan, was it Kendall? No. Nobby Styles. Wow. Well, yeah. remember. How well, about that? Two England World Cup winners. Uh, other managers on the day, which is really remarkable. Mm. Neither of them very good as managers. Well, I was going to say that's a yeah. trend that continues because in the Bristol Rovers game, the manager was Terry Cooper. So that's it seems right. to be a real kind of period for ex-England internationals who were absolutely rubbish at managers. But there you go. Um, we uh, we lost the West Ham game, I should also record, with a Graham Wilkins' own goal on 88 minutes, which no doubt will give these two horrors if they recall it. But um, I, I, I remember it vividly. This is this is this is what I hate about visit, revisiting this these this era these eras is sometimes there are these images of of passing past Barota that is stamped on my memory and it gives me the shivers even thinking of it now and us going oh god no oh, like that but anyway I think Graham Wilkins scored one goal in the right net for us and four in the wrong net sounds about career. right well yeah. I mean you know thanks to that I think we were we were in twentieth position after losing to West Ham uh, but uh, things do uh, start to improve um, basically we only drop one point in the next nine matches and end up being top which is remarkable Colin Lee 
uh, gets nine goals in nine games, uh, which is why I'm going to call this little bit, it's the hope that kills you. Uh, but before we get to that, I mean, I think, Kelvin, would I be right in saying, you know, every season, and I think this is something that's being reinforced by doing all these 50 years of Chelsea things, but every season is kind of punctuated by one or two games that everybody remembers. And I yeah. think if you talk to everybody about the 1980-81 season, there's one game that everybody remembers, and it's Chelsea-Newcastle, isn't it? It is, and it was a classic. Um, and unfortunately, it was covered by TV because um, it would have become, because of that, that period um, being a, a, a bit of a dark time for us, it probably, without the cameras there, it would have probably been forgotten. But actually, fortunately, they were there, and it was a cracking game. It was such a great game. Um, it was, Colin Lee had hit a, a, a real sort of uh, great streak of form in front of goal. Um, I think he started by scoring, I, I think it was a late winner at Cambridge mm. um, that sort of set us on the way. And then he got the late equaliser in that game against Preston, the minder game. Yeah. And then him and Clive Walker, because Clive Walker started playing up front and he um, Hurst brought Phil Driver in on the right and he had Peter Rhodes-Brown on the left. Um, and I think Driver made his debut as a sub in that Bristol Rovers game that you were talking about. And we were struggling a little bit in that one. Um, I always remember they, they, you know, Bristol Rovers wear squares, blue and white squares yeah. on their shirt. Their away kit for that season was brown and green squares, oh brown God. and green. It was bizarre. And they had a, a, a centre forward called Bob Lee, who had played for Sunderland and, and was then at Bristol Rovers. And he scored the single best own goal I've ever seen. He was on the edge of his own box. They were defending a corner. And somebody nodded it out and he obviously wanted to just sort of volley it into touch or up the pitch. Got it all wrong and volleyed it straight past his own goal, his own goalkeeper. Honestly, from the edge of the box, it was like picture perfect volley. Um, but I think um, we just hit this, this real lovely streak that autumn. I mean, I think back to that autumn with real sort of fondness, despite how this season panned out, because it came out of nowhere. And we had a couple of big three twos on the road, and um, and then we had the um, we. Had, I'll tell you what. Another game actually, just before Newcastle, we played Orient on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, and it was one goal that decided it, and it was scored by Mickey Fillery, and I'll give Mickey Fillery plenty of stick, but he did not lack talent, and the goal he scored that night was sensational. All the away fans, we were all on the terrace directly behind it. It was really central, but he was a good sort of 30, 35 yards out. And he just hit this shot and it swerved one way and the next and beat Mervyn Day all ends up. Um, just an absolutely brilliant goal. And I remember going into school the next day and I just couldn't stop talking about it and telling people about it. Then we played Newcastle on that Saturday, the following Saturday. And that performance was out of this world, really was sensational. Um, I know you've spoken to Gary Chivers previously about his goal, and, and that was a fantastic goal. But Phil Driver's performance, yeah. that, that day, remarkable. I mean, but also, really what I love, he used to do these fantastic, the, the centres were just so brilliant for Lee because Lee was that, mm. that kind of centre forward who would just rush at it and bullet it in with a header. But it, yeah. it was these, they were, it wasn't as if they were driven in, they were kind of floated in these centres from Driver, who, um, who played out of his skin. In fact, well, I remember thinking, this is such a great player for the future. And yeah. uh, I was thinking with him and Rhodes Brown, I thought, well, where's, where's Clive Walker going to play? Because um, Clive Walker was, was always a decent player for Chelsea. I mean, I know he had these 
little moments of perhaps where he, he didn't seem to be performing. But he really was, uh, he could play out of his skin, old, um, old, old Clive. But yeah, but Driver, I thought, this is a, what was he, 20,000 from Wimbledon. Yeah. And, um, um, and then he played, he had another game. He, did he score against Wrexham later on in November? That's right. But, yeah, but then, then I, I don't know what happened. He just didn't no. get picked. Did he get injured? I don't understand what happened there. He did, didn't he, I, Kel? Well, I've never really understood it myself. I, th- I, I think he had injuries throughout the time he was at Chelsea. But that season, um, I think he, he had 12 starts and 12 sub-appearances. Uh, mm. um, so I think he was largely fit. And I remember him coming on at Southampton in the Cup. Um, and I remember thinking we could have nicked something out of that game. We couldn't have, but I remember being young and thinking at the time we could have nicked something out of that Southampton game um, if we'd have put him on earlier. He came on quite late on. Um, but he definitely had plenty about him. He, he actually ended up losing his career um, in a game against Chelsea the season, the summer that we sold him. We sold him back to Wimbledon and we played him in a, a pre-season friendly at their place at Plough Lane and he broke his leg in that game. Oh. And he was never really um, the same after that. He was a bit of a beanpole, wasn't he, Kel? So he looked he looked fragile. I have to say, you know, yeah. I, I forgot. I mean, this is the beauty of doing these shows. You go back and find all these YouTube clips and I, I forgot what a good player he was. It's a bit like... Um, when we were doing the 70s and watching a lot of those matches, I kind of fell, fell in love, really, with Peter Hausman, who, mm. who I'd never really considered to be much of a player. And I, you know, I heard these stories. Everybody used to call him Mary and all the rest of it, give him a lot of a hard time. But I watched those and I thought, Jesus, he, he could play now. I mean, he, he was a very modern kind of player, had a great, great eye for a pass. And I was yeah. watching Phil Driver and I was thinking, Jesus, he can cross with both feet. He can beat a player. Yeah. Yeah. What a player, yeah. you know? Yeah. You just don't realise that. Really pacey as well. Yeah. Getting yeah. I mean, to be fair, in that game, he was playing against a boy at his debut, wasn't it? Peter Wythe's um, yeah. uh, mm. uh, younger brother or something. But nonetheless... He the was, shit one uh, in the family, clearly. Yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> but, uh, like Graham Wilkins. Oh, harsh, harsh. <laughs> I always think of that, that period, I just didn't get the information very much. You didn't know, unlike now, we get yeah. every piece of information there is to know about any player, about how they're doing, what's going on. But then he just didn't, as you say, he played, he was in and out. I didn't understand why he wasn't being selected every week because he clearly was a class act. And then it all sort of fell apart and that was the end of that. Yeah. So I was very disappointed because he was outstanding in that game. In fact, as you say, they were they were great. And old, um, uh, the goal ended up, the Chivers goal was was second on match the yeah. day because it started off with the ball being rolled out to him at the edge of the area. And he ended up then scoring it. And it, well, he did yeah. you know, I think he says in the uh, clip about it. Yeah, I kind of screwed it up. I didn't realise it would come in so quickly. Yeah, we are actually. It's a good good juncture to do it. Just before we do, I mean, basically, we got. I've got a clip from uh, the Chelsea special with Gary Chivers talking about his goal, which was the fifth goal of the six. But uh, before we get to that, uh, Kelvin and J.K. are right. Uh, Peter Rhodes, Brown and Phil Driver were brilliant on the day, particularly Phil Driver. Uh, but the standout, of course, was, uh, was uh, Colin Lee, who scored a hat-trick, uh, two superb-headed goals. Um, which was it's kind of I mean if anybody remembers that I mean see I I even I knew you know in the in the in the kind of weird vicarious way that I watched football in the seventies even I knew Colin Lee because he scored four goals very famously for Spurs against Torquay United which was on match of the day and everybody went loopy about it and and and, and watching the watching it back today the Newcastle match it was the third year anniversary of him scoring four goals against Torquay for Spurs and he gets a hat trick for Chelsea which is absolutely brilliant. Um, but this is what uh, Gary Chivers has to say about his goal, which, by the way, it was so good uh, that um, it, it came second in uh, match of the day's goal of the season. Anyway, here we go. Playing at home, 
playing against Newcastle, I think we were top of the then second division. Yeah. They were second, or yeah. vice versa. So it was top of the table clash. Yeah. Um, and we absolutely pulverised him. Colin Lee got a hat-trick, yeah. but Colin Lee, in, in, to his own admittance, will tell you and turn around and said his hat-trick got overshadowed by the goal I got, which for me was a three-yard tapping, and it was a tapping, but I headed it out from the back, and it was all one-touch play. It eventually come to Clive Walker, who flashed it across <laughs> with his left foot, <laughs> with his left foot, yeah. and... <laughs> and it was me there to finish it off. But so, how did you find yourself that far up? Because you didn't have to go across the halfway line. No, I, 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 as soon as I headed out, as soon as, as soon as I headed out, <laughs> I went running. I went running after the ball. I went running after the ball, and it, everything evolved. And do you know what? Even when I come off the pitch, someone said, "Do you know what? That that fifth goal was unbelievable. It was a, it was a great goal." And I didn't have no. I thought, really. Like it was like a two-yard tap, and he went no, but it was all the one-touch play, to all, all the build-up to it. Comes second that season. It comes second in Golden Scene, yeah, yeah. What beat you? Can you oh, I think it was Terry McAdermott, uh, Chip. I remember Chip, that. Chip from the more or less, more or less corner of the of, of the pitch. Yeah. He, he oh, chipped right. it over the goalkeeper. Yeah. Great goal. It was a great goal. Great goal. It was a fantastic goal. So you think it was a great goal. No, of course he didn't. No. <laughs> I played at Chelsea and obviously I deserved it better than him. Brilliant. Brilliant by uh, Gary Chivers there on his uh, fantastic goal against Newcastle, which sadly got pipped to the post for goal of the season by, as Gary says, Terry McAdermott. Uh, which he still feels <laughs> aggrieved about today, clearly quite right too. Who wants to lose to a scouse with a curly perm and a tash? Uh, I, I feel your pain, Gary. Um, so, going back to the match, we, we win 6-0. A few matches later, we're top of the league. Uh, as you say, Kelvin, very unexpected, really, given the start we'd had in the season. But how, how are you feeling now? I mean, because, you know, every season when we're in the second division, everybody tips Chelsea to go straight back up. But after the season before, maybe a bit of a reality check, wouldn't it? Yeah, it should have been. I mean, I think at my age, I always thought we were going to get promoted anyway. So I was one of these. I was always, always, at the start of every season, that was the season we were coming back up or that was the season we were going to win the FA Cup or, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and to be to be honest, I think, I know that the, the, the uh, Newcastle game, the fans were all singing about like going up and winning the league and, and what have you. And I think I, I, I watched that and I probably thought, yeah, we, why not? You know, we probably can do it. I, I probably thought we were better than we actually were, to be honest. Have the crowds actually really stand out for me, particularly in that Newcastle match? And and I was saying last week when we when we did the fifty years of Chelsea show that suddenly a lot of the chants that I'm I'm very familiar with today uh were being sung. Although very sadly, uh you'll never walk alone was being belted out. Yeah. But oh. my, my favourite spot of these matches, Kelvin, are the advertising boards. Uh we started off a few weeks ago and Chelsea were advertising the Emmanuel series of yep. films. Uh, and now we've got now we've got Dicky Dirts being advertised, which I'm delighted by because I used to when I first moved to London, I got jeans from Dicky Dirts. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so did I. Yeah, had a few good few pairs from Dicky Dirts yeah, so there you on go. the Gold Rock. Well, yeah. Was that, uh, I, what was that? The first year of the scoreboard this year. Oh, good question. Anybody I think remember? It might well have been. Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah. Never, uh, looking back, you think why did they pour that money into a scoreboard when they appeared not to have any money at all anyway? Well, and I think I, it got to a point later, possibly this season, possibly the next season, where they actually had to um, stop using it because they couldn't afford it. <laughs> and yeah. they, there was a period of the, of the season where they weren't using it. 
<laughs> yeah, so I remember funny. it. I remember it. <laughs> that, that, I remember but, it now. Now you've said yeah. that. I'm going in and saying, why is the scoreboard not working? Yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah. Put an extra but 10p in the meter. Mind <laughs> you, you see, what they should have done, Kelvin, and this will tease the second part of this beautifully, they should have been on a, a paper goal basis. You know, because in the second <laughs> half of the season, they'd have saved loads of yeah, money, wouldn't they? Absolute fortune. Absolute fortune. Just, just to say to anybody listening, they, they, they had this new scoreboard that was a kind of digital thing. It was really of the moment. Little people and it, running. And, yeah, 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 and people celebrating. <laughs> they ran yeah. across celebrating if Chelsea scored. I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting or not. You know, you think, oh, big deal. Because I, I, I loved it when they had old the old scoreboard where all the signs were, were all the scores were just put up. Um, yeah. By, by a you know a bloke in a white coat and uh, uh, and that was you know that was there was something very authentically sixties and seventies about. They should that. have but done you, it. They should have done you, like a boxing ring. You know, when a girl comes round the pitch to announce. That, you know, <laughs> that would have been novel, wouldn't it? Yeah, but probably <laughs> probably unacceptable in that era. Well, it would have been. I mean, you're talking yeah. to a bloke here who, who worked for the people who brought the nation live TV and the uh, the news bunny. And naked or top, topless <laughs> dance. I know all of these people from my past. It's a very sad well, admission. Eighty three, eighty four, which we're going to do in a couple of, couple of weeks' time, was the year when those two girls became quite famous for walking past the shed um, every game, and everybody's just singing at them. We won't say what they were singing, but they knew they were getting a chorus every single game during the second half. They walked in front of the shed, I and uh, the old P- unpc chant came out yeah i'll tell tell you another story about that newcastle game which has got all to do with football but tells you about how different the times were back then the following day after that newcastle game i had to go into hospital um i had a scheduled appointment and um i was i went into charing cross um when i was taken in on the sunday um went in watched match of the day because match of the day back then was actually on the sunday sort of late afternoon that season Went in and sat there and with a couple of other blokes. I was on, the, for some reason, I was on an adult ward. So sat and watched a couple of blokes. And I was really full of myself. Like, oh, I was there yesterday. I was there watching this game. Like, watched the Chelsea-Newcastle game. I was having my ingrown toenail taken out on one on one foot, on one toe. I was in for five days on the, in the NHS. I was in hospital for five days. I came out the day we beat Cardiff. And that was just routine. Wow. Operation on the Monday, and they kept me in for four days just to monitor that everything was okay. Wow! Now that would not happen in the 21st century, would no, it? That's, that's remarkable. You're in and out if you've had a I strike. Had, yeah. I had a, a big problem with ingrowing toenails, and I remember um, having it done locally, and just they pushed me out, and that was more 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 recently. You see, it was yeah. done. It wasn't even done in a in a uh, an operating theatre. It was done just in a clinic, just at the side, mm. and uh, pulled out. Uh, injected and on your bike mate off you go how, yeah. how times have changed well, wow there you go. Time. Yeah. Chelsea yeah. Fancast bringing you everything from uh, the uh, <laughs> live TV uh, topless darts to Jonathan Stanford the Lion to ingrowing toenails uh, what the things we do for you people anyway we're going to have a quick break and then we're going to carry on and uh, all I'm saying here is give us a goal away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft. 
inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved blue boy's life. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper chels. Right, welcome back. Uh, part two of uh, 50 Years of Chelsea, 1980-81 season, uh, with the marvellous, uh, incredibly insightful and very lovely bloke, Calvin Barker. Hello. Indeed. And uh, the equally lovely and thankfully fully clothed Jonathan Kidd. Whoop. Indeed. Now, we've been having great fun for the for the first part um, with some bizarre stories from Jonathan and, and Kelvin, actually, it has to be said. <laughs> Um, but back to the football. Um, now, you know, fresh off the, the 6-0 drubbing of Newcastle, which gave everybody great hope that we would indeed be going back up to Division 1. We carry on the form for a little while. As I said, we were we were top uh, around uh, November. Um, and then, as always with Chelsea, um, it all goes very, very peep-tong in uh, December, doesn't it, Kelvin? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, so we, we played um, Notts County away last game in November Johnny Bumstead the great Johnny Bumstead scored um, an equaliser we've got a one-all draw there that was the last goal we scored in the league away from home all season all season yeah. and it was like something like the 29th of November um, yeah December we just stopped scoring didn't we we um, we went into I think in second place a nil-nil draw with Swansea and a two-nil defeat at Grimsby and then a a one nil defeat at home to Bloody Orient, who had so many wins at, uh, against us back in those days. Um, um, a guy called Joe Mayo scored um, for Orient that day, and he hadn't scored for something like 14 years or something. And like they always do against Chelsea, come on um, and score against us. They had, uh, a Mayo, side, though. they had a decent side, though, didn't they, Kelvin? They, had they weren't bad. They had Stan Bowles. And Stan Bowles. Yeah, they weren't, yeah. They weren't bad. They were okay, yeah, yeah. They 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 were all right, but disappointing enough. They just always seem to get one over on us. I thought, yeah, Orient. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm very disappointed. Sorry, go on, go on, mate, go on, Kel. 
Joe Mayo scored for Orient that, that day. He, he had a decent career, actually. He ended up at West Brom. And I think he may have played in the top flight for West Brom. He turned up on the chase not so long ago. And being as sad as I am, I actually recognised him and remembered him. But Bradley Walsh, who was an ex-professional footballer, didn't have a clue who he was. But he was, an, he was a contestant on the chase. No way. About a year ago, yeah. That, that Orient side intrigued me and I mean correct me if I'm wrong I mean obviously Mervyn Day was playing he just you know he he was West Ham I can't I was Tommy fl- Taylor Tommy Taylor Tommy as well. Taylor West Ham cup winner um was was it was it not Peter Taylor surely yeah yeah, yeah so I, I, I forgot he went to I mean I, was, I thought he was at Spurs by then what did he not last at Spurs because I mean he was in the England side and everything I mean what happened to him ending up at Orient I think he did a few seasons at Spurs. He certainly played in that game you you t- uh, spoke about when Colin Lee scored the four goals. Yeah, he, he was. Um, I reckon he must have done four or five years at Spurs, but yeah. at, at this point he was obviously winding down. I didn't remember him playing for Orient either. No, to be honest. I mean, the last time we remember six, though, he played for Palace though. In well, six. I was going to say last time we remember Peter Taylor was when he single-handedly knocked Chelsea out of the cup. Yeah. In 76, yeah. you know, and then I knew he was at Spurs because I remember him being around there in about kind of 78 and he got on the England side. I couldn't believe he ended up there. Uh, Stan Bowles, as you also said. I'm very upset, though, that the, that, that the Orient weren't playing the wonderful John Chidozi, who I think has got one of the best names in football. The uh, man who destroyed Doug Rugby's Chelsea career. Yeah, yeah. John Chidozi absolutely yeah. destroyed it. A bit too uh, soon for him. And, of course, uh, Laurie Cunningham had uh, long since gone to West Brom. Wonderful yeah. player, Laurie Cunningham. Anyway, we're we're digressing as we so love to do. Um, you know, Kel, Kelvin's absolutely right, um, and and it was interesting actually because I think this is one of the matches that that I had on on the YouTube list, wasn't it? The Notts County match, uh, and that was, or maybe it wasn't. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, that was the last away goal we scored all season, and we, in fact, it was just as bad at home. We only found the net in three of our last twenty-two matches. Uh, just quite, quite unbelievable. Um, yeah. Now, before we get into the whys and the wherefores of that, because I've got I've got a great clip from Gary Chivers on that, um, we really ought to, uh, you know, as people who listening won't be able to know, because what, what am I wearing, Jonathan? You're wearing your Darsaw Alan May's score yes. T-shirt. Which, of course, uh, was a shirt given to me by the lovely Rootless Cosmo, who who listens in on Mixler every Monday night. And uh, he actually calls himself on the Mixler chat room, I saw Alan May score. Well, when watching, uh, I, you know, I, I can say that I never did, actually, because it was a bit before, I, I you know, I didn't start going for another th- three, four seasons time. But um, I can now say I have seen Alan, Alan May score, Jonathan. In fact, I saw him, saw him score twice. Yes. Against Cambridge. Indeed, against Cambridge. After Mickey Troy, bullet header. Uh, yes. But he did manage to flash about four over the bar before he managed to net two. Um, yes. he, he was a peculiar purchase, wasn't he? Let's be honest. Well, that was Hurst's answer to the gold drought, wasn't it? To buy him from Swindon. Because he had a... I mean, this this really intrigued me going back through this and and, and, and picking up uh, from, from Ch- uh, Kelvin's celery book. I just thought something's never changed at Chelsea, do they, when it comes to strikers? Not only a half of them that we buy absolutely shit... But if you play well, if you or I turned out tomorrow for a team and played well against Chelsea, they would go and buy us. Yeah, but Robert Fleck is a great example yeah. of that. Well, Fernando yeah. Torres. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you name it. I mean, what, you know, unbelievable. Sorry, Kelvin, you we were about to say something. To, we tried to sign Andy Ritchie around that time from Man United. Yeah, good so player. He, he'd come 
yeah, and he'd done well as a youngster, but couldn't get into their team. Um, so we actually tried to make him our first, as it was then, half million pound player. Um, uh, cobbled the money together from somewhere, and he had a straight choice, I think, between us and Brighton. And again, sign of the times, he chose Brighton over us. Wow. Um, and I saw him, I spoke to him first game of the season up at Old Trafford. He was doing the corporate bit. And um, I was talking to him about coming down um, and, and uh, meeting Je- uh, Jeff Hurst. But he, he said that he just didn't really take to Jeff Hurst. Yeah. And that was why he didn't join. And I think because we didn't get Richie, I think I'm right in saying that was when he turned to Alan Mays because Alan Mays had scored a couple against Arsenal in a, a League Cup run that, that Swindon had had. Um, so we suffered him for the rest of his uh he would have been a great signing. He was a really terrific player, energetic and sparky. There was a yeah. bit of a Teddy Maybank in him as well, actually. I like Richie. But Richie just went on. I thought I had a terrific career after that. He was, yeah. That would have been such an excellent signing. But I think Hurst was a problem that way. I think he uh, I think he was very... Uh, there was an element of being fond of himself. I think the, 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 uh, the, the, the bit that I've learned from him was that he, he played with the... I think even from the Gary Chivers... Um, uh, bits that you've you've given us, Chidge. He liked playing with the with the team, which well, is a well, bit hoddle like. Hoddle did that, yeah. trying to prove what a good player you still are, rather than observing. And also, uh, I heard that it was down to Gould to actually give him the the training because Bobby Gould was the assistant. Um, and and all he did was just get them running, and really wasn't involved tactically in the slightest. Which, well. Which was obviously a reason for them hardly scoring any goals. You'd let's think let's hear it. Let, let, striker, though, you'd think being yeah. a striker that he would be able to get. Them you would have thought that, wouldn't you? You, you know, that. I mean, he yeah. was a good striker. Let's be honest. You know, Jeff Hurst was no mug uh, as a striker. So why couldn't we pick a player? Just say that my memory, my ongoing, always memory of Alan Mays is getting the ball and turning in a circle, and I have that image of him in my head all the time. He got the ball regardless of where he was on the pitch. And would turn round in a complete 360 degree circle, and as and, and there was nobody challenging him or anything. So I, I don't know about that, but that stayed with me all these years. So. I remember a game at Palace um, a couple of years after this. I think I think it was the uh, the game when Paul Cannaville made his debut. That sort of infamous game, um, and Mays uh, was playing up front that day, and we got behind Palace's defence time after time, and he missed two absolute nailed on sitters and then right near the end he went through again he uh he went I think George Wood was in goal for Palace he went round George Wood and he was right in front of all the away fans and he put it over the bar and he just got absolute pelters I mean it was it was the easiest chance you'll ever see it was a Ronnie Rosenthal you know wow but he put it into the into the away end well there you go well Gary Gary Chivers was perhaps not quite as harsh as we were but nevertheless pretty frank this is what he had to say about Alan Mays yeah, we, we, we were skint, do you yeah. know what I mean? And then we, I think we went out and bought, didn't we go out and buy Alan Mays, was it? From Swindon. Yeah, right? that rings a bell. Yeah, we, we, bought, we, bought Alan, we bought Alan Mays, who, who bless him, he, he couldn't score in training. <laughs> he couldn't score in training, bless him. Really? Yeah, no, no, he just couldn't, you know, him and, and, him and scoring. And of course, I think he started his career at uh, QPR, because yeah. my brother was at QPR, he was an apprentice, so I, I used to see him. And then uh, QPR released him and he went to Swindon. And then from Swindon, he, uh, he, they had a great cut run. They had a great cut run, Swindon. And he'd done quite well in the cut run. And then Chelsea just went in there, bang. And yeah, and as soon as we, we, we got him in, you could see him training. He, bless him, he was off the pace. So there you go. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, we got a goal drought, he buys Alan Mays, it makes absolutely no difference. But the season's not all done and dusted quite yet, because we have a rather tasty uh, cup tie. Of course, in those days, you know, A, the FA Cup was massively, massively important, uh, much more so than it sadly is now. Uh, and of course, when you're in Division 2, it's your only hope of any sort of glory, although it's a bit of an idle fantasy for to think that Chelsea might go and win it in the second division. And uh, uh, for the, I, I reckon by my count, Jonathan, uh, Kelvin no doubt will, will, have, will know this for sure, but this must be the th- third time we've played Southampton in the Cup in the last kind of five, six seasons. We seem to be keep drawing Southampton in the Cup. You get teams like that, don't you? Yeah. We're playing against Orient as well. We seem yeah. to be just choosing the same lot to play against. I'm trying to think who would be the case in, in recent years. Uh, Nottingham Arsenal. Forest. Nottingham Forest. Forest, keep, yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep yeah. drawing them. Um, uh, yeah, there's some teams seem to be attracted to uh, to um, um, ex-players' fingers in the balls when we're being they're being chosen. It's the hot balls, mate. That's what it is. Not not something you uh, are familiar with after last night, of course. Um, anyway. Uh, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on, yeah. So we get Southampton in the first round of the FA Cup. We're down at the Dell. Um, this is not an easy match by any stretch of the imagination because at that time, you know, Southampton were, you know, flying high in uh, Division 1. They were a decent side, actually. They, they'd kind of or on the way to being a very decent side, in fact. But they had the likes of... Um, well, goodness gracious me, my best mate's uh, former brother-in-law, Trevor Hebbard, uh, was playing, who actually grew up uh, in the same uh, small town in Hampshire that I did, uh, Kelvin. So there oh, you go, right. Lo- yeah. local hero, the only the only boy from Allsford who managed to make it into professional football. Uh, yeah, he had a decent career. He he did actually. Actually, he's a lovely bloke too, Trevor. Uh, but the, it, it's a bit weird. It's like the archers down here. So you know, you, depending on what village you're in, everybody has the same name. And in Byton, uh, where Trevor grew up, they're all called Hebbard, right? In Titchbourne down the road, they're all called Primer. Or it was that's what it was like when I was growing up. Uh, obviously, you know they branched out a bit these days, if you know what I mean. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> so Southampton had a good side. They had Kevin Keegan playing for them. Now you might ask yourself, what is Kevin Keegan, who's who's had this amazing career at uh, at uh, Liverpool, then goes to Hamburg, European Football of the Year, England captain? What on earth is he doing playing for Southampton? He's playing for them. Mickey Shannon, of course. Charlie George. I mean, this is a decent a decent side. And also Alan Ball was still playing for them then, although he was, uh, I think he was injured when we played them. Now, there's an interesting story about Kevin Keegan, isn't there, uh, Kelvin? Because I didn't know this about, about Chelsea supposedly, uh, you know, trying to trying to sign him. What's yeah, that about? Um, well, he agreed. He, he actually announced he was joining Chelsea. Um, and I think it was this, it was the season before this, actually. Um, he, he announced that he was leaving Hamburg. He had a column. There was a there was a, a, a comic called Match Weekly. It was like a rival to shoot, and Keegan had a, a column in that, and he announced through his column, um, "I'm joining Chelsea." Big big headline. Jeff Hurst had persuaded him to come back um, and, and play for us, and uh, then he pitched up at Southampton. Um, Laurie McMenemy turned his head, and, and fair enough, he did really well there. Obviously, he had a, he had a great sort of uh, couple of years at the Dell. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that was the agreement was he was joining Chelsea. Mm. I mean, uh, I, I didn't know that, and I'm staggered. I mean, you know that we would have been able to get. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's something kind of a bit wrong with Kevin Keegan because you would have thought he would have he could have gone anywhere, 
You know, his stock at that time, you know, he yeah. was he was England's best player. He was the captain. You know, he, he was, I mean, I'm trying to think of a comparable player at the moment. The pro- I mean, dare I say it, Harry Kane, maybe, you know, in equivalent terms. Although yeah, we yeah all- that's a weird thing to do, wasn't it? To go to South- They had a decent side, though. There were some decent players there at Southampton. But-, but he could have gone anywhere, mate. He could have done. I know United. You know, did whatever. He have the stables down there or something, or were they know they were up north? When no, they? I really... don't know. Yeah, it, it... it might have been. It, um, maybe we might have sold it with Shannon being there because I think they yeah. were quite. Yeah, yeah. Weren't they? And that's yeah. Sort of Alan Ball as well. Yeah, yeah, Trevor Head. It was a strange obviously. move. I mean, he probably could have gone back to Liverpool. Yeah, obviously, they were absolutely immense at that yeah. time, weren't they? Moran played for Saints as well. He was yeah. a decent player at the time. Stevie yeah. Williams. Yeah. Oh, he was horrible. Watson, he was another good player. Nickel, I mean, the, you know, yeah, these are international yeah. players. Anyway, we digress. We end up playing Southampton in the Cup. Uh, you know, I know for a fact, because I've, I've read his book. Uh, Kelvin, you were there. I don't know. Were you there, Jonathan? Yeah. No. No, right. Okay, you could take five, love. Uh, so, Kelvin, over to you, mate. Tell us all about it. It was actually my first game um, I'd gone to outside of London with Chelsea. Um, I, was, I was only a kid, I was like 15, and um, I remember listening to the cup draw um, on the radio. Or No, I think, the, I think the cup draw was on the Saturday, and then on the Monday, me and my brother decided like we needed to phone, um, I don't know if we had to phone British Rail or we had to phone Waterloo Station or whatever, but we phoned up to, to try and book tickets uh, when they went on sale. And I always remember my brother made the call and he said that the blokes, first thing he said to me, you Chelsea supporters, and my brother went, yeah, even though he's actually a Norwich fan, but he went, yeah. And um, the uh, the guy said, these tickets are selling like hotcakes. There's going to be loads of Chelsea there. We were like, lovely. Um, and we went uh, went to the game, got into the ground, and there was like a war taking place on the paddock to the, the left of where the away end was. Um, Chelsea had taken it, basically, and were fighting the police in there. And it was absolute carnage. Um, Chelsea everywhere, as, as we expected. Game kicked off. Steve Moran scored after five or six minutes. Um, and then it was sort of fairly competitive and it was getting up to half time. And right in front of us, uh, Gary Locke put the ball out for a corner. And um, the fans kept the ball. The Chelsea fans kept the ball, just throwing it amongst themselves for ages, sort of thing. And Peter Barotta, in the end, put his hand up to the fans and said, like, come on, come on, come on. And, and the fans, as soon as he, this is what I was saying about the relationship with, he had with the fans, as soon as he did that, the fans threw the ball back. Um, I think it might have been Steve Williams who took the corner, crossed it, and it was a, it was a straight cross and header. Keegan got his head on it, put it in for 2-0, but made the mistake of gesturing to the Chelsea fans. His celebration was like a, a goading gesture to the, to the Chelsea fans, and that kicked it all off. So the fans were trying to get over the fence to get at him. Um, the police came in to, to try and sort it out and got absolutely terrorised in there. Now, if Keegan hadn't done what he did, that probably wouldn't have happened. Um, but it was like, I don't know, it wasn't the only time he did that sort of thing, to be honest. So I think his, uh, his halo slipped on a few occasions. Yeah, he was a bit, yeah. Funny enough, last year I was on holiday and somebody had left his book in the hotel library and I, I, I picked it up to have a read of it and my missus said to me, what are you reading about Kevin Keegan for? And I went, hey, he's all right. And she said, doesn't he always just whinge? And I was like, oh, I always thought he was okay. And I read it, and it's a whinge fest. It, uh, so many sentences that said, I'm not making excuses, but, you mm. know, and uh, it reminded me, actually, of what a tosspot he could be. But, um, but yeah, so he, he pretty much sort of kicked a riot off that day down at Southampton. Mm. And 
Yeah, that, that took a long time actually to shake it off. I, I, when we beat Newcastle four 0 and he got humiliated by Pat Nevin, I really loved it actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a few weeks' yeah, time, but that was that was a memorable one. Coming yeah. in the book, you say that they sang "We Are Evil." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What was the uh, what was the, the the Chelsea supporters sang "We Are Evil"? What was the tune? We are, we are evil. evil. <laughs> <laughs> Used to sing it quite a lot, to be honest. Coming out of grounds, I remember coming out of QPR once. Um, probably the season before the one we're talking about, we we had a game just before Christmas and we drew two two there. And we come out, and obviously again it was all Chelsea everywhere. And I remember actually walking down Loftus Road itself with all the fans seeing it, and you could see like the locals peering out of their curtains, and, and it sounded quite sort of sinister to be honest. When you knew that what the sort of thing that was going on back then as well, you know, actually the fans were quite evil. It was, you know, actually the kind of the height of it in a way, wasn't it? I mean, I've got a very yeah. one of my best mates, a big Southampton fan. And I think I think it must have been this game. He said he got he got chased all over the place by Chelsea that day, and they were well, pretty there horrible. There in um, '84 when uh, we got, ended up getting banned, and Laurie McMenemy went into one about it. But um, there was rucks all over the gaff that day. Mm. I actually wasn't at that game, but it's it was quite a famous one for, for loads of trouble. Chelsea kicking off all over the place. Indeed. Well, there you go. So Chelsea get knocked out of the Cup 3-1 season over, basically. Uh, and it gets worse. Of course it does. This is Chelsea. Uh, we do pick up a few wins. Let's let's not uh, be too downhearted. But I do recall uh, QPR away uh, being yeah. quite a, a memorable match as well. Why was that, Kel? Well, Tommy Langley again, when it, scored the winner, didn't <laughs> <That's> they? <right. laughs> again, we had... Um, I think they must have built the... Um, you know, I said at the start that Bristol Rovers game and I was in the loft but I, I know I was in with QPR fans then but by the time we played this game the away fans were in the loft um, and they'd taken the roof off the loft as well actually um, so we were actually at that end of the ground um, and I'm pretty sure that was the end of the ground that he scored at and the song was being being sung to him we're going to shoot Tommy Langley and I remember they had this cocky other striker his, his strike partner Simon Stainrod and I always thought yes. he was a Absolute tosspot. Yeah, and I remember he um, he mimicked shooting Tommy Langley and, and, and Langley mimicked being shot sort of thing like, to take the piss out of the Chelsea fans. But uh, yeah, only goal of the game. Freezing cold. I remember it being absolutely freezing cold that day. Um, Wasn't he on the transfer list? He'd been put yeah. on the transfer list because he yeah. hadn't scored at all and Venables didn't rate him. Yeah. No, that's right. I think he scored like two goals, didn't he? One, one against us at home, one against us at away. So, so typical, isn't it? Uh, but as yeah. I, said, I mean, I like Tommy, and I, I, I don't hold it against him per se because I, I, he clearly didn't like it there. He wasn't playing very well. No. Um, right, the next two games are uh, uh, we, we actually win against Shrewsbury and Cambridge United. Uh, this is the, the the match I was referring to, where Alan Mays scores a brace uh, on the seventh of February. Uh, we then got walloped by West Ham, 4-0. Christ, that must have... Did you go to that one, Kel? Didn't, no, I didn't go. Uh, and I was—I wouldn't have been allowed to. My parents would have stopped me going because everybody knew that that one was kicking off all over the place. Hell yeah. And, yeah, and it did. And avoided that. You avoided that. I couldn't bear to go there with the, the, the knowledge that you'd be chased around everywhere, yeah. anywhere. I think... I, think... Yeah. I remember being chased at West Ham only, only five years ago, chased really? away. Yeah. But by were uh, you saying chase me? Funnily enough, I, 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 if I'd done that, I think <laughs> I've <laughs> I'd interviewed Dunk. Oh, sorry, I'd I didn't happy to have had a good kicking, been right. given a good kicking, but no, I'm not fond of that. You, you know, you know that I missed the 2008 Champions League final, Chelsea United 
in in Moscow, right? Yes, and you know, you know that I missed it because I had to direct Ricky Tomlinson's, uh, you know, live uh, stage show. Uh, I, I I refuse to call it a comedy show, uh, <laughs> right? One of the one of the guests or one of the contributors on, on that night was Duncan Norvell. I missed Chelsea playing United in the Champions League because I had to interview Duncan Norvell telling me about Chase Me. Believe it. Unbelievable. <laughs> what was the origin of Chase Me then, Chief? I can't remember. It's it's expunged out of my head, thankfully. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, I, I, while I was interviewing him, I was cursing not being in Moscow and seeing pound notes going into my pocket. And that's all that really mattered at the time. Um, anyway, moving swiftly along. Um, yeah, uh, uh, but the last goal that Chelsea score uh, in the season is not... Well, actually, Alan May does score one of them, funny enough, but it's against Bolton at home when we yeah. won 2-0. Now, this is the 7th of March, and the reality is, Kel, in spite of our, our, our natural proclivity to doom and gloom when it talks about Chelsea in this era of the history, we were still in the top six. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely crazy. I mean, that, that was all set up for us, really. To We only needed to have a half-decent season, and we were getting promoted. When you, when you look at... I mean, West Ham were comfortably the best team in the division. Um, but I think Notts County might have finished second. Notts County were definitely promoted. You know, they, they were a nothing team. Um, and it was easy. It would have been easy. I, I think Swansea, wasn't it? Swansea yeah. and Notts County, the other two yeah. teams. Yeah. All right, Swansea were okay. Um, and they did all right for a year or so in the in the top flight, year or two. But um, it wasn't a difficult division to get out of. Uh, and that's pro- proven by the fact that in March, despite not scoring goals for so long, we were still up there. Well, we were finding it hard to score goals. But as I said, the, the two against Bolton on March the 7th were the last two of the season. We did not score a goal for no. the neck. The last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine matches. Um, now, Quite incredible, really. Exactly. Um, now, it kind of beggars belief. I mean, I use this as an example to to, you know people who have only recently found Chelsea and get a bit cocky. And I said, can you imagine what it was like? You know, you get pissed off if we if we only beat somebody 2-3-1 or 1-0, or shall we say Villa away 2-1. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. you get pissed off about that. Can you imagine what it's like to support your team when they don't score for nine matches? And as we said earlier, they only scored three in three matches out of the last 22. Can you imagine what that's like? Uh, so, you know, I wasn't there as, as it happens, although I was cognizant of it you two were Jonathan what on earth was it like having to watch that uh, completely horrific <laughs> it, it was and then once again there is this terrible hope you think well perhaps it'll be different next season you're always hoping that <laughs> you know you just because it's because it's Chelsea and you've seen them be good you just think that surely it can't be as bad as this you just lurch from game to game thinking surely they'll score Surely they'll beat Cardiff. Surely they'll beat Oldham. Please beat Luton. You know, please beat Swansea. Please beat Notts County at home, for goodness sake. And it just doesn't happen. But then then I also think um, you've already made your, your view. You, you know that Mays isn't good enough and will just constantly hit. Uh, uh, once again, you've just, you, you've, it's, it's reminded me of the number of times he would, he would uh, miss the target um, in decent positions. I mean, to, you know, to give him, to be fair to him, he got into decent positions. He just couldn't mm. shoot. So um, uh, you knew that, that, therefore, they were hardly likely to score. You were hoping for a, a goal from, from one of the other players. I mean, I was disappointed that, I, I can't remember exactly. I always thought Fillory was really excellent. So you always thought that he was going to give you something. And so clearly, these last nine games, he didn't. 
So I wonder well, whether he was injured. Was he injured? I can't remember. I don't think, I don't think so, to be honest. I think no. the chips were down. And I think with players like Fillory and Walker, they yeah. weren't the players they, that... They didn't want to play anymore, I suppose. No. Yeah, they no. had to go down. You're right, absolutely. But there was a there was a dreadful inevitability. I think after they've they've hardly... In five games, you know that nothing's going to happen for the rest of the season. Yeah. You go along... You go along because you've got the ticket. You go along expecting something, but thinking, "What's going to? You know, I don't think anything interesting is going to happen here. Let's see what it, you know." But by then, because all the euphoria after New, the Newcastle game and after them winning the nine, nine only dropping one, uh, drawing one game out of nine, just completely evaporated. But there was the middle of the season. We just thought they're going up. I think that was yeah. even chanted. That was chanted at the time. It was. It yeah. was definitely, yeah. And it did look that way. And, and the, the implosion was came out of nowhere in the same way that that um, spell in autumn where we just hit our straps came out of nowhere. The implosion did the same, you know, it was all looking so, so good. And then December struck and just, well, we came down before the decorations had even gone up, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> But I think uh, a, man, a proper manager would have been in a position well, to actually change it. Yeah. Right. We'll get into Hurst in a minute. But, I mean, you know, Gary Chivers was quite effusive about um, the issue with not scoring and the reasons for it, which he says here. You, you didn't know what team was going to turn up, yeah. you know. I, I always put myself down as a... I was always, like, a plateau, do you know what I mean? I never was... I was never right up there but I was never also never down there. Yeah. But it, it, it all depends what, what team and what players fancied it. You know, a lot, lots of people. When Clive Walker was on song, geez, he, he could play. When, when, when he wanted to play, yeah. when he wanted to play, geez, yeah. and then, then the next next game, some, some would go missing. Yeah. So is, that a, is that a mentality thing? Gary? It is a me- I think it's a mentality. Or or, thing. or is it a management issue? Because I mean, you know, we, we as I said, we were up and down. But let's be honest, we had that period when we didn't score any goals towards the end of the season. Couldn't score in training, by the way. Yeah, right. So, right. so, so it went so onto the pitch as it, well. It, it, it went up to the pitch. It started yeah. off on the pitch, and then I think we was we was right up there at Christmas. That's right. And yeah. then all of a sudden, after Christmas, and we we just couldn't. And I tell you what, we used to play against the reserves. We play against the reserves. We couldn't score. But that's that sounds to me like a confidence. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. But isn't that surely the job of a manager to try and you know sort that out? It is. It is the job so of the manager. So why couldn't he? Why couldn't he? I don't know. Because I think the players. You I know, we know. had we had some decent players. Let's yeah. Be, we had some poor ones. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But we had some decent players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And he tried to address it. Like I said, we had, we had games after games after games. And I think I think we even turned out in a, uh, the first team turned out in a reserve game. I think it was against Fulham. I don't think we fucking scored in that one either. Mm. You know, nil-nil. Uh, you know, very interesting thing that about the fact that they couldn't, they just couldn't even do it in training. They just, mm. you, it's what you were saying, J.K. I think it it, it it becomes habitual, doesn't it? And the confidence goes, and it becomes a mental thing. But actually, I think Gary's point uh, is perhaps the most salient, which is, you know, that's a managerial issue. Actually, I mean, I know the players kick the ball on the pitch. But that's what the manager's job is. It's his job to stop that happening, to sort it out. And he patently couldn't. And uh, therefore, Kelvin, uh, no surprise that uh, that he, he gets the tin tack, doesn't he? Uh, I think Bobby Gould was in charge for the last match, wasn't he, against uh, Notts County? And at Swansea, actually, the penultimate game, the last away game, um, Gould was in charge as oh, well. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and I think there'd been this um, increasing sort of desperation Um he kept changing the captains around. So, like we, we said at the start of the season, he named Peter Barota as captain. 
but before Christmas, he'd started switching them, and he had this rotation of captains. <laughs> Clive Walker had it for a while. Um, Mickey Droy, Dennis Rofe. I've got a feeling possibly Ian Britton, although I can't be certain on that. But he started rotating captains. They started doing this funny thing with um, the shirt numbers. Um, now, whether they thought they were going to catch out opposing, opposing sides by changing... So, for instance... Gary Locke started wearing the number seven shirt, but he was only ever going to play at right back. <laughs> Colin Pates was playing at centre-half, but in a number three shirt. He, you know, it's not going to catch out professional footballers, but they appeared to be doing all these silly stunts, which probably didn't help. You know, you're going to get laughed at by the players, aren't you, really, when you're, when you're doing stuff like that. And it just all became a bit desperate. I think, that for me, the, the, the worst thing was that, that Watford game when we were clinging on to a nil-nil and... Um, Peter Brussel got caught in possession about 40 yards from goal and Malcolm Poskett nicked it off him and just ran oh. through and tapped into the net and you thought, this season just needs to end. This end it now. End it yeah. now. I remember that so vividly. Oh, so, oh, God. I have to say, I hadn't remembered it until I read your book. But uh, <laughs> but then I went, oh, yes, oh, oh. But that was, in a, in a sense, that was so typical of, of him as a as a, yeah. as a, a goalkeeper. So anyway, anyway, um, you know, uh, well, the season fizzles out. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that uh, you know, the, 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 this is bizarre, and I can't understand why. But the last match of the season against Notts County at home, possibly because uh, Notts County's promotion was on the line. That's perhaps why the TV cameras there. They certainly weren't there for Chelsea. That's for sure. Uh, but anyway, you know, of course, uh, we lose to Notts County two nil. And then there's a there's a very a rather angry pitch invasion afterwards, isn't there, Kelv? Yeah. Well, well funny enough, what, was what it happened during? Wasn't it during the game? It was, it was during the game. It was during. Yeah, it was after we went two 0 down. I think. If it was after the second goal. So technically, About the end of the game then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, early on in that game, Clive Walker had a shot, and it went off the inside of the post and rolled along the line, and I think it just scraped the other post and came away, and you, you knew then that we weren't going to score in that game either when that sort of thing's happening. But yeah, I think as soon as their second goal went in, fans started climbing over onto the pitch. There wasn't many, a couple of hundred, and they were um, chanting for Brian Mears to quit. Uh, I think Hurst had just gone, i say, like a week, 10 days before that. And it all just felt like a, an accident waiting to happen at Chelsea at that point. Um, so yeah, there was, I remember that those fans going on and, and gesturing to Mears. And I think they broke the shed end crossbar um, I know they had the dash up to the Notts. There was a there was a small handful of Notts County fans on the on the North Stand Terrace, and I know they dashed up to them and chased them up the, further up the terrace, even though there was a huge great fence there that they were never going to get back over. Um, but uh, yeah, and and it just all it, well actually it brought the end it brought the end of Brian Mears and and the whole Mears dynasty uh, to Chelsea because a, a few weeks after that he quit as well, and then led to uh, I think. What's his name? Lord Chelsea took over for a Viscount while. Viscount Chelsea, as you say in the Viscount book, Chelsea. named after yeah. a posh biscuit. Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're smaller than they used to be as well. <laughs> uh, he's probably about as much use as a biscuit. And uh, I think, I remember, yeah. I remember I had, Lee, I had uh, Les Ferdinand, bless his heart, on a, on a show once talking about um, Graham Pohl, the referee. And he said if, if he oh. was chocolate, he'd lick himself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I get the impression from Viscount Chelsea that that's probably why he was named after a biscuit. But there you go. So, you know, <laughs> it's all over, basically. Um, it, it, yeah. Gary, again, you know, we've heard from him a lot, actually, uh, in this episode. But he was very interesting on, on Jeff Hurst as a manager. And this is what he had to say. 
No, I think we just missed out on promotion. Exactly. He, he was um, he was really good to me. Uh, in fact, just before he went, I was supposed to be get a, a bumper contract, which got knocked back when John Neal came in. Uh, but obviously, that was up to John Neal. But yeah, he, he was he was decent. He spoke to you. Him and Bobby Gould. I'm not too sure if that was the right sort of combination to, to bring in at that time. But we just missed out on promotion. Um, was he a good tactician, though, Gal? Um, Jeff Hurst? Jeff Hurst, not really, no. No? Was he a man no. management style? He, he, he just he used to come and join in training. Join in training. Yeah. And Score a hat trick and go off. You, you wished, yeah. But, but, but <laughs> there'd be people kicking him yeah, if you could leave one on the manager, it's brilliant. So he wasn't tactically. <laughs> tactically, no, ta- no, he wasn't. No. And, and, and you think he was, but yeah, you'd have and, and, so. not every good player makes a good manager. manager they say that, yeah. yeah. Jack Charlton, look at Bobby Charlton. Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, but he, he, he was, he was, he was good to have around the club because yeah. of the publicity yeah. that surrounded Jeff Hurst, him being Jeff Hurst, Atrick yeah. in the World Cup, and yeah. you know, brilliant. Yes, uh, not up to it, really. I mean, the first question really for this season, I mean, we now we finished 12th for the record, which uh, up to that time was our worst uh, worst finish, I think, ever, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. We know it gets worse uh, in, in a couple <laughs> of years, but at, at that time it was the worst. I think the first question really, you know, is where did where and why did it all go wrong, Kel? Uh, it's hard to... I mean, it, was a, it has to be a confidence thing. Um, the team was relatively young, um, the, the, the service from the wings, which Colin Lee was thriving on, suddenly dried up. So, you know, Phil Dribble wasn't getting picked. Peter Rose Brown was was always a bit up and down as a player. Had his, certainly had his moments. And I remember him doing really well in that Bolton game. For, he created Alan Mays' goal in, in that one, which was our last goal of the season. But he had a lot of quiet games as well. Um, and when the chips were down, the players that you look to to provide a bit of inspiration, did not do it. And Clive Walker and Mike Villery will come into that category for me from this season up until the point that they left Chelsea, I'm afraid. Um, you know, you, you, you need... You probably can get by with one or two poor performances a, a week. But, I don't know. You, you can't just rely on your, your Johnny Bumsteads and your Colin Pates all the time. You've got to have some sort of inspiration. And the two guys who could have given it to us weren't getting their hands dirty. I think in a better team, Walker would have been absolutely outstanding because he, he really had the ability to turn it on. Uh, but then I think there's a mentality thing there. I mean, Walker's career, the Clive Walker that was at Chelsea played his entire career as, as that same Clive Walker. He went to QPR and Sunderland and uh, Fulham, but he was always inconsistent. And, and the same with, with Fillery. Fillery was the most talented, the most naturally yeah, talented of that team. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Terry Venables took him to QPR, said, I'm going to make him an England player. Never got close. Fillery did nothing at QPR or anywhere else after he left Chelsea. He had that great ability to slalom past players just with, with consummate skill. There was a kind mm. of, um, uh, I would say, a hullet about that. But it's that, it's the, it's that close control that just you just run at somebody and you're very pacey but you're smooth and slinky at the same time you and then took with the words rasping shot he could have at the end of that as well oh yeah no he, he, you took the words out of my mouth there actually john because i was gonna i say the the hullet one as well um i think there is elements when when he turned away from a player and you know that elegance that he had 
Oh, it did put me in mind of Hullet as well. Yeah, the, the great, absolutely right. The perfect word, an elegance, and that great elegance about him. And as you say, um, yeah, I remember Venable saying that actually would make him into an England player. And it was, uh, uh, and I was disappointed for him because I, I thought he was, I thought he'd achieve it at, at, uh, at Rangers because mm. I thought he was a really terrific player, but never to be. So no, no. I spoke to one of his teammates when I was writing Celery, and I won't, I won't name the teammate, but I was talking about that sort of uh, attitude that he had um, and he, he just said to me well that was Mickey Fillery wasn't it and that was one of his mates but you know he was just a bit too full of himself and he'd, he'd play this fantastic sort of 50 yard pass wouldn't he and then he'd preen himself for 10 minutes on the on the back of it you know <laughs> yes. drives me mad looking back on it I shouldn't get so angry 40 years later but, it's still well, but you can't help it you can't help it no. you live through it and it was it was very relevant well, the pain's still there and I you know I, it's interesting hearing you two talking about that because uh stuff I, I mean you know there's a little bit of it in the clips we've heard from Gary but he was saying much the same thing you know that a lot of the play, there, there were some really good players, but there were a lot of poor players in the team at the time. And he said that a lot of them just didn't put it in, you know. Yeah. And 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 we know we've watched football a long, long time between us. Christ, we would we be into three figures, I suspect. And the reality is, is that you know you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the application, it's it's pointless in a football team because it's a team, you know. And you're only as good as your weakest player or your laziest player. You know, and, and you're going to move on to that in, in the next couple of weeks you will move on to that and, and, and that will be proven because yeah. you'll see that Walker fizz, uh, fizzles away um, Fillery goes a uh, couple of other players go and it's the likes of Joey Jones the great Joey Jones Tony McAndrew David Speedy guys like that coming down from up north with no affinity to Chelsea at all at that time and they're the ones who end up keeping the, the club afloat not the ones who've come up through the youth ranks and owe it to the to the to the um, the supporters. These guys with no affinity whatsoever with Chelsea, but just professionals who roll up their sleeve and run through brick walls. Um, and it's those guys who actually keep Chelsea um, out of the clutches of Division Three and potential bankruptcy. Yeah, but that's, that's when I've been if they'd had players like that playing for them, mixed in with the with these with the with the guys who'd come from the youth, as to how, how what the club would have done. Because uh, yeah. it, it, it seemed to all just fade away with this lot. Um, and uh, it, it, there was a kind of disbelief um, uh, when you'd think the following season we're starting with the same players. Yeah. Think, oh, God, they're not going to achieve it. I think this this period, it was the, the least optimistic I ever was watch, as a Chelsea fan the following season. Um, yeah. Because I was always optimistic about them, um, perhaps just achieving something in a season. But they'd been so dreadful towards the end of this season, you just thought, this is just, where are they going to descend to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting point. Um, I'm going to ask you, but I mean, actually, you know, look, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, I think, you know, with a bit of hindsight and, and reflection, we can say that, you know, Colin Colin Pates breaks through this season and I think Colin ends up being a great player for Chelsea. Johnny B absolutely establishes him, him, himself as well and I think he ends up being a great servant for Chelsea and and both of them good players too so yeah it's not all doom and gloom but you know we kind of needed another nine players like that really which is in a yeah. sense kind of what you're both saying my final question to you um by the way just uh, dotting a few i's and crossing a few t's Colin Lee was the top scorer with 16 goals Clive Walker then the next one with 11 and then you know nobody got you know, into double figures after that. And Petter Barotta had the most appearances at 45 and funnily enough was awarded Chelsea's player of the season. 
<laughs> weird. Um, I know. Yeah, most, say no more. Most characterful player of the season. I think, most co- comedic yeah. performance of the year award. Yeah. Kamikaze also, award. Sorry, go on, Kel. A good point to make from, from what you just said as well. Colin Lee was top scorer with 16 goals. He got four, 14 of them before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, well, quite, because we didn't score many at all after Christmas, did we? <laughs> um, look, my final question to you both. I'll, I'll ask you first, Kelv, but was this was this the worst season for entertainment, uh, you know, at Chelsea, kind of football-wise for you, ever? Well, that autumn period was so good that it might actually dig it out of the, the mire yeah. That yeah. this season. You know, we had, it, was, it was a season of, I don't know, not not quite two halves, but maybe one third and two thirds. Um, <laughs> and that first third was really good. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a, it was any worse than the two seasons that followed it because I think it did lay the path for those two seasons. I know the next one we had a bit of a cut run, but that eighty two eighty three season was really really bad. And yeah, I mean the season we've just that was the worst for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was terrible, wasn't it? It was atrocious yeah. that season. Yeah. Uh, and I think that this was just the start. I think this was the the season where that. That just started to gather a little bit of pace. We'd, we'd just missed out on promotion the year before. Heads probably went down a little bit. And then I think it just, this was the start of three years um, of, of, we just embedded ourselves as a average to poor second division team. Mm-hmm. You echo that, JK? Yeah. 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 I, 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 go on. You were just hoping they wouldn't get worse, but yeah. they did. I was going to yeah. say I don't want to put you into any more pain than I have already this <laughs> evening. You're looking, you're looking like you've gone ten rounds with Mike Tyson, mate. Oh, I've got glum now, haven't I? I know, Where's, I know. Well, it's, it, 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 we we have we have to call it as we see it, mate. Um, but there you go, people. Uh, I hope you're all suitably depressed. Uh, my advice to you is go and have a very large drink because it gets worse next week. Uh, but there you go. Um, in fact, actually, next week we we will be me and Jonathan in the in the hot seat as usual, and we will be joined by Dan Silver, who, if I recall correctly, uh, season eighty one eighty two was his first kind of season going to Chelsea. So it'd be interesting to see what what Dan thinks. And as, as Kelvin alluded to, and of course everybody who who knows the Chelsea history will know, there were some high points in that season. Uh, without t- ruining the story too much. Uh, Liverpool, we beat Liverpool in the cup. Okay, I've done it, I've done it. <laughs> as then, usual. As, as usual. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I can say that we will also be seeing Kelvin again uh, in about three or four weeks' time uh, to do 83 and 84. and eight, Yeah, and 84, 85. Hopefully, the 84, 85 season will be with uh, Kelvin's great mucker, uh, intact as well, Mr. Marco Worrell. So that, that. Uh, Jonathan and I will have to say very little that evening as those two rule the roost. So we look forward to seeing you again in a few weeks' time, Kelvin. But until then, you've been absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much for that, mate. Thank you, Chidge. Thank you, Jonathan. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we've, we've done it. It's been good fun. No, it's been great. You were excellent, Kelvin. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers. Perversely, they are actually a lot of fun, even if the, the football was rubbish and Chelsea were worse. It's actually quite fun going back there and talking about it, I find. But there you go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. You've been a star, Kelvin. Thank you. Mr. Kidd, uh, well done. Uh, I, I love the fact where we get these people in and it jars your memory brilliantly and you know kind of winds you up and off you go as well which is great <laughs> yeah but it's just where i've just suppressed all these memories yeah. this was just so just slightly worrying about me as a person i just think oh god yeah, i remember that oh, oh. no as a, as, a, as a trained psychotherapist, I feel like I'm doing my job by relieving you of these repressed memories is that good for me is well it good? is because you're not having to pay me normally you would 
No, I didn't mean that. I meant just in, psychologically, was it good for you? Not, yes. Not, it's not from a financial point of view. No. Kelvin's bang on. It's cathartic. You have to you have to go back there, dig them up, so that you can let them go, mate. Well, it so makes let me it go. Team much more now. But having said that, though, I gave him such a hard time for the uh, the Villa result. Perhaps I'm uh, perhaps I should be much more understanding and do what Tony does. Tony said, "We won, we won, Jonathan, we won." Yeah, absolutely. Don't worry about it. We scored However, two goals, Jonathan. Two goals. Exactly. Two goals. Yes, two, Think about minutes. it like that. That like this that. is, by the way, final thought on this. This is why I hate the fact that we can't see football at the moment in the stadium. Because when I go and watch Chelsea, that I I get so excited seeing the team score a goal, and this is why I get so excited. Because I, you know, even though I wasn't going in those days, I remember it's imprinted on my memory that there were times when Chelsea could not score a goal for love nor money. So I appreciate every goal yeah, as a massively goal. special but, event. But also, but also the the events in the crowd are so much part of it. Yeah. The chance, yeah. what's going on around you, yeah. the interaction from the manager with the, uh, particularly where I sit at the moment, you just look down and the reactions of people and what's go- going on and being able to hear all the banter and all the chants. It's so, that is so much part of it. The, the, the presence of Chelsea fans around you, especially away, I mean, I, I find my way a bit scary occasionally just because there's a kind of, you know, uh, an energy about it that I'm, I'm, I'm possibly um, not too old. I just don't want to be, I don't want to have to, um, you know, have somebody looking at me and saying, sing, sing, mate, you're not singing. I just like, oh, God, all right, I'll sing. But, uh, um, uh, Kelvin, I can't, you know, my whole career, my whole life is about performing and doing stuff. So I just quite like watching football and thinking, ah, oh, I've watched a, a nice game, but I won't get too worked, but I do get worked up, but I don't want to, don't want to sing. Um, Fair enough. Even, I know all the songs, I will do, you know. I'm, I'm, a couple of times people have said to me, you're not a real Chelsea fan, just sing me a song. And then immediately I've sung them whatever song. They go, oh, oh, you are a Chelsea fan. Like, yes, you're I'm. probably the only one who sings it in tune, to be fair. <laughs> they don't recognise when you sing it. That is <laughs> probably right. Thank you. very, <laughs> very true. Right, on that happy and joyous note, we're going to bid you farewell and uh, we will see you again next week for another episode of 50 Years of Chelsea. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.